Today on Table Talk Radio, name that Calvinist confession. You know you want to play that one. Preaching to Hollywood and Ten Commandments in the News, talking about Doritos, Nayroll, babies, and such. Stay tuned. A radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to... Table Talk Radio. This is then a sanctification, is a daily drowning of the flesh and a, and a daily rising again of the new man to life. And that is what we call repentance. The law comes to us and shows us our sin, and then the gospel comes and, and forgives our sins, and, and, and by that the new man rises daily to life. The point is the forgiveness of sins. I mean, I, I wonder if the gospel was preached in that gray old church. I wonder if the sacraments were rightly administered. Because if it was, that's the point. I wonder if those gray old people needed the forgiveness of sins. It's like putting Vaseline in your eyes before reading the New Testament to be a dispensation. Because <laughs> you can't tell anyway what's up and down. So. You're just trying to get on the Facebook quote page. Like a train crash in your ears, you can't help but listen. This is Table Talk Radio, and uh, does that makes. I bet you. I bet you people can actually help from listening. You think so? Yeah. All right. Well, hey. So <laughs> while uh, while we're talking about things you don't want to listen to, today's lineup of Table Talk Radio consists <laughs> of this. Um, name that Calvinist confession. Everyone's favorite game. Ten oh, yeah. Commandments in the news. It's preordained to be your favorite. We got a submission for Ten Commandments in the news from uh, from the Facebook page, by the way. I was wondering where all this silly show prep was coming from. Oh yeah, and then we're doing uh, preaching to Hollywood via the old email system, still oh, yeah. okay. old and reliable, and doesn't sell your information to others. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're referring to. <laughs> That's because you're on Facebook. All Facebook users are in. And ignorance about this. That's okay. Look at I, I mean I I'm trying to figure out you know I'm trying to figure out how to get my information out there and and Facebook is doing it for me. I don't have to do any work. You know that's right. That's like why All I was those... so glad to find out that the that the NSA was spying on me because I'm like well at least somebody's listening. <laughs> you start addressing the NSA agent in your in the signature of your email. <laughs> that's, that's for more right. information on this, visit the World Wide Wolf Mueller. <laughs> <laughs> Dear government, <laughs> check out You're my new <laughs> my new confirmation certificate. <laughs> Very targeted marketing. Uh, yeah, that's right. But before that, before all that hilarity and mediocrity, we have buzzwords. Remember that thing we do, buzzwords? Yes. Give me your buzzword. I got a beautiful buzzword for you. It is this word. Beichspiegel. Your um, buzzwords recently have been especially obnoxious. Thank you. I've noticed. Beichspiegel is uh, it means co a confession mirror. And remember how we talk about the three uses of the law, the uh, or functions of the law: the curb, the mirror, the guide. The mirror is the law that accuses us. It holds up God's holiness in front of our face, and we see when we consider our life and our station in life according to the Ten Commandments, we see how much we have failed. And the Beichspiegel 
is an old document. It's kind of not a single document, but like a family of documents in the Lutheran Church that that takes the Ten Commandments and asks any number of questions that you can use then to examine yourself. So, for example, the one that I have here, which I think is one of the best ones, is the one that's put out by Emmanuel Press. And you can go to Emmanuel Press's website and just download this dude for free, the PDF. It's really quite nice. We made a hundred copies or so for the congregation. But it, it says, for example, the First Commandment, uh, you shall have no other gods. What does it mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And then listen to some of these questions. To whom have I looked for the highest good? Have I doubted God's word and thus committed idolatry by seeking my highest good from other sources? Which one was more important when, my, I, make my da- when I made my daily decisions, God or myself? What do I fear? What do I love? What do I trust more than my God? Have good times deluded me into thinking that I am in control? Am I tempted to think that I have God and everything I need when I have money and earthly goods? Have bad times caused me to despair and lose hope and trust in God? And so forth. I mean, that's about a third of the way through the first commandment. So these questions are for us to to think about and consider our own sins. Now, this is especially good for preparation for communion. It's also especially good for the season of Lent, which we are in. Yes. So try to get that one. Bye. Bike Spiegel. All right, I'm probably going to say that with a um, oh yeah, a German accent. No problem. All right, my theological buzzword for you is hermeneutics, and this Herman who Herman Hermeneutics. You don't know Mister Udix? Herman C. Udix. <laughs> hermeneutics is a field which deals with. Um, interpreting the scriptures, and there is a bit of a process to this. Um, like anything, it can be done poorly or it can be done well. Um, you know, and this is the thing that's not spoken of too much today because we assume that anyone who has an interpretation of scripture must be an equally valid interpretation of scripture. So you have, um, you know, uh, the Lutherans come along and say, hey, when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. What he means by that is, this is my body, this is my blood. Um, and then wait, you have. Wait, wait, that's too complicated. <laughs> okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, so we're going to dice it. Slow down so I can follow it. So when he says is, is means is. Just ask Mr. Clinton about that. Um, now, uh, someone else comes along and says, wait a minute. When, when uh, we're talking about Jesus saying, this is my body and this is my blood, what he means to say is this symbolizes his body, and this symbolizes his blood. Now, those are two opposite interpretations, and people say, oh, well, we can't know what the Bible says at all because people disagree upon the ter- interpretation. Now, imagine if um, you have you know, two scientists who come at com- two completely different results to the scientific process. You'd probably think, boy, one of those scientists— um, was careful in his examination of the evidence, and another one maybe wasn't. So there's a good way and a bad way. Or both of those scientists could have been really lousy, but they both couldn't couldn't have um, been carried out their tasks uh, successfully and come to different results, right? So uh, same right. thing with hermeneutics, that we have a certain um, process to follow. So, like, I'll give you one example. Um, we understand Scripture um, with the, the clear passages— helping us interpret the unclear passages. So if we come to a passage like, boy, this is kind of a toughie, um, there could be a couple different ways you could take this. The way that we're going to take that unclear passage is that it would fit in line with the clear reading of the 
um, of the passages that aren't so complicated. So now um, the unclear passages are understood knowing the rest of Scripture that God is very clear on. Does that make sense? Clear to me. <laughs> Good. Do we use that her- same hermeneutical rule in listening to Table Talk Radio? So you interpret the clear host in light of the unclear host in light of the clear host? Um, so what he's trying to say you know what is... I just realized, by the way? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I was getting the clear I just host. realized that if you forget to write an extra L in Hollywood, it says Hollywood. Ooh. I was writing down our show here. Okay, so to Hollywood. First up in this That's a, uh, only a small aside. Only that's only a s- slightly off aside. Right. Okay, what are we doing now? First, well, we're doing uh, I have an email. Confidence. I want to read you an email. Oh, yeah. I got an email at okay, okay. at uh questions at tabletalkradio.org. An email says this, I okay. am a former Calvinist. I have an honest question. That's the best kind of Calvinist, by the way. <laughs> the honest, I have an honest question regarding what Lutherans <laughs> call double predestination. For the record, I know I still have heavy covenantal tendencies. My problem with Calvinism is that I see the sacraments through the eyes of the covenants, not the covenants through the eyes of the sacraments. That basically sucked the life and soul out of Christianity. <laughs> okay, he says, having said that, I am still stuck at this whole idea of predestination. If we are elected, and salvation is not of our own doing, and we can claim no part of our own salvation, I don't see a way of getting around double predestination. Of course, the unregenerate would not choose God. No one would choose God. We do not choose God. He chooses us. So if some are elected, uh, there are obviously some who are not. You cannot get around that. It is my understanding that Christ's death and resurrection was sufficient for all, but not efficacious for all. It is, if it were efficacious for all, it would be efficacious for all. Um, that, that God chooses some means that he obviously didn't choose others. He doesn't choose all, or all would be saved. This doesn't negate the free offer of the gospel for a Calvinist any more than it negates the free offer of the gospel for a Lutheran. How can you call it free if the only way you can receive it is if God chooses you? If he chooses you, that means the default is that he didn't choose some. You can call it what you wish, but it seems to me that you are saying the same thing. You just don't like the way Calvinists say it. All right. <laughs> Whoa. Not only do I like how they do, how they say it, how, I don't like how they say it. I don't like that they say it. And I don't, also don't <laughs> like what they say. Okay. But All that's right. probably neither here nor there. Now, this is a monster theological question, so what we should do with it is play a juvenile theological game. I love it. <laughs> And we're going to be playing the game. Name that Calvinist confession. Okay, I can tell you about <laughs> one Calvinist confession, but go go ahead. I'll, I'll... Well, maybe I'll accidentally read that one. <laughs> Although God can, God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass. Tell me if this does not sound just like our emailer. Upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future or as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. Next, by the decree of God, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. Okay, stop there. I need to take a break. We'll be right back talking about... I... I know what I think I know this Calvinist confession. We'll be right back after this. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. Wish we could 
because some people have a high pain tolerance. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Can I get a Table Talk Radio, we are playing everyone's favorite game, Name That Calvinist Confession. And I just heard a quote about how if some are elect and some are not elect, and I have to narrow down which Calvinist confession that could possibly be from. You know what's really interesting about these Calvinist <laughs> confessions is that there's lots of them. I mean, they're, they're, uh, the Calvinists decided that each little place should have their own confession. I mean, they are kind of the right. states' rights version of confessional theologians. So, you know, so you got to have a your own little Calvinist confession in England, and your own little Calvinist confession in Scotland, and your now, own little. Did we did we France decide what the ratio is of uh, Calvinist confessions to Calvinist blogs? It's like two to one. I think. Or something. Oh. <laughs> well, that's that's right. Probably, you know, most Calvinist bloggers have five or six blogs. And probably they have one for each confession. So they're like, this is the Heidelberg Catechism blog, and this over here is the, you know, shorter uh, shorter Scots Confession blog or whatever. Um, okay, so I'm going to render a guess, and I thought of a second Calvinist confession that's um, in my repertoire. So I've got a 50... 50- yeah. Well, it's not even a fifty percent. If you if you only like had one, one, you would add 100% a one percent chance. <laughs> so I, I think I think this is from the Westminster Confession. Uh, you're right, Westminster <laughs> Confession of Faith, Chapter Three of God's Eternal Decree, Paragraphs Two and Three. I or, thought so, as it's printed here. E and E. Now, do you know I that's can't, how you pronounce I, you, I, I. Do you know I can't help but notice with this confession you just read and the emailer? Uh, let, me, let me tell you a little story. One time I was, um, I was going into Burger King after making a hospital visit, and a guy kind of creepily looked at me while I walked in, and then he followed me in. It was kind of weird. And uh, when I sat down with my food, um, he said, hey, can I join you? I said, sure. And he t- talked, told me how he was a Roman Catholic, and he was getting ready to join the monastery and be a monk. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And um, so we were talking about the Lord's Supper, and um, and he was saying, I said, look, Saint Paul uh, is talking about the 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 body and blood of Christ, and the very next line, he still calls it the 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 bread, and the well, I guess the cup. But he still calls it bread. So how could it be that it has transformed into the body and blood, and yet he'll still call it bread? And he gave me, well, don't you know that the Outward accident is bread and wine, but the uh, substance has changed. And I, I couldn't help but notice what he was, what he had to use to make his point was not the word of God, but rather borrow from philosophy. And one of the common themes I noticed in our emailer's question and the confession you just read was that they don't make the point that some are elect and some are ele- uh, what not elect or, or or damned to hell. Not on the basis of the scriptures, but on the basis of reason. 
Yes, and that is that's why because we have a we have a theological riddle, a theological question, because the the scriptures. Uh, a plain reading of the scriptures would lead us to uh, believe, teach, and confess, and assert three different doctrines. Number one, um, grace alone. In other words, as the emailer said rightly, there's nothing we can do to add to our salvation. It's completely the work of God. The second is universal grace, that God not only uh, uh, sent his son to die for the sins of the entire world, but also that God wants everyone to be saved. It's God's desire that everyone would be saved. That's universal grace. And then third, the fact of the damnation of the unregenerate. There will be people who will suffer eternally in hell. Now, it, it, our, our reason cannot put those three things together. So the result is that to make it make sense, we've got to reject one of them to fit the other two together. So our friends, the universalists, believe in grace alone and universal grace, I suppose, if they want to, but they reject the doctrine of hell. And so you can fit those two together. The Arminians uh, and those kind of semi-Pelagian folk who want our will to be part of salvation, they reject the grace alone. And they said salvation is, is, uh, is grace plus acceptance or whatever. And the result is now you can fit universal grace together with the fact that some are in hell. The Calvinists, on the other hand, decide to reject universal grace. And that is why always with double predestination, you have the doctrine or the assertion of the limited atonement. And we heard it in the email that Christ's death was sufficient but not efficacious. And so you reject universal grace, and that's how you fit these strings together. Now, the Lutherans, uh, in fact, they named this problem, why some, not others, curiali uh, noon or something. Uh, there's a Latin name for it. Uh, the crux theologorum, the cross of the theologian, because it's at this point that our, our reason can never be satisfied. If we want our conscience to be satisfied with the absolute confidence of the gospel, our reason cannot be uh, uh, and so we have to say we have to assert all of these things, and even though it doesn't make sense to us, we we are not permitted by the Scriptures. We go beyond the bounds of the teaching of the Scripture if we say that God has elected some for salvation and others for damnation. Okay, so there's a part two to the email, and it simply asks, what do you do with Romans 9, 6-24? It's not so specific to say a, have a particular question about that text. What do you do with Romans 9? It says, I was at a conference with the esteemable Arthur Just about nine years ago, asked us the same question. He did not have an answer for me. Well, maybe he did, but there were other pastors at the table who tried to answer for him, and he spent the time keeping them out of heresy territory and never did answer when time ran out. What about if I try to answer and you keep distracting me? Okay. So Now, I would say for Romans 9 uh, that the... In fact, the key thing is to first read Romans 8, <laughs> because, uh, in fact, Luther has this great advice. He says, when we talk about the doctrine of, of justification, or the doctrine of election, we want to follow the order that Paul has in Romans. So you first talk about sin, then you talk about grace, then you talk about the gospel, then you talk about justification, you talk about baptism, you talk about the fight between the flesh and the spirit, and then you come around to the comforting doctrine of election, and that is that if you are engaged in this fighting of against the sinful flesh, that you have been called. Now that's what Paul is going to argue in Romans 8, because we cannot know election or predestination or, or foreknowledge that's hidden from us, so we have to look at what we do know. So here's the text, Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, 
it, the foreknowledge and predestination are hidden from our eyes. So, in fact, in one way is the justification, and in another way, the glorification, we don't see that. So the way that we have access to the knowledge of those whom God has, pre, has predestined is in the call. And this gets to the key problem with Calvinism, is that Calvin would like to make a distinction between the external call and the internal call, so that the word of God goes forth, it's preached to all the world, but it, but the thing that really matters is the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and these are two distinct things. And what that does is it robs us of the comfort that the Lord would have us have in his call, and especially in the sacraments. Now, our emailer said that he would like, the reason why he's a Lutheran and not a Calvinist, is that he would like to see the covenant in light of the sacraments rather than the sacraments in light of the covenant. Well, you just have to make that same switch now to get the doctrine of predestination, that you don't want to see the a problem with the sacraments through the light of predestination, but rather you want to understand predestination in light of the sacraments, in light of the call, in light of the preaching of the gospel. That's what Paul is doing in Romans 8. So, so then you get to Romans 9. Uh, I'll just read one verse here. It is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not Israel who are not who are of Israel, nor are they all children of uh, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, who are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son, and so forth. Now what Paul is doing there is he's asking this theological question. Why is Israel, if they were the elect of God, why don't they believe? And Paul uh, and Paul is pleased to make the point that... Um, uh, that you're 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 looking at it the wrong way. I mean, God is the one who is creating faith through the Word. So so you don't look to to election first to 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 figure out who will be the Christians, but you look at the Christians first, those who have, who are baptized and have faith, and then you find election. And so he's going to be arguing against this idea. He's he's really in fact arguing against the Calvinist argument that you start with election and find out who's Christian and saying, you've got to look at things the other way. So that in the end, he says, why, why hasn't God rescued Israel? And he says, well, look at me. He has, because I believe in the promise. Ah, good. So, so go to, back, to go back to the um, discussion of the means of grace, um, as a, a Lutheran would approach that, we would say that where, where we find the Word of God, there is the Holy Spirit working to call, gather, and enlighten. Um, but for the Calvinists, would it be that God's Word uh, is only working, not everywhere where the Word is, but uh, the Spirit is working through that Word only where the elect are found? Yes. I'm looking for my Calvin. I can't find him. I think I, he's home under my pillow, so I can read you an excerpt. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes, you're exactly right. That's what they say. Cool. You know, sometimes I have a microphone in front of my mouth when I talk on the radio. <laughs> What's this thing doing here? What's this big fuzzy thing in front of my face? <laughs> oh, welcome back. Get that mic out of my face. That's a Nacho Libre quote, get it? Uh, no. I'd love to read you this Calvin line, but I just cannot find it. Where, oh, where have my... Well, that's unfortunate. We're going to take a break and look for Calvin. He's got to be lurking around there somewhere in the secret places. We'll be right back. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. 
How many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. The Daily Bible Meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com, where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out. Because you know I'm all about that grace, about that grace, no tattle. I'm all about that grace, about that grace, no tattle. I'm all about that grace, about that grace, no tattle. I'm all about that grace, about that grace, 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 grace. Yeah, it's pretty clear I am tainted, but there's a holy savior we are acquainted. He's not that groom, groom that all the girls chase, but I'm hooked by his irresistible grace. Welcome back to Table Talks Radio. During the break, we found Calvin. Who now, knew? Who knew that our whole show was going to be talking about Calvin? Um, the Calvinists did. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, are we playing now? Guess, uh, guess what Calvinist document or page for points? We need to make a game. I'm not going to just do this charity work. All right, uh, I'll play. Let's play Bible B. Okay. There's two verses being quoted here. So nice. The statement of Christ, many are called but few are chosen, is in this manner badly, very badly misunderstood. Uh, so that's your first verse. Many are called, few are chosen. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Nothing will be ambiguous if we hold fast to what ought to be clear from the foregoing, that there are two kinds of call. There is the general call by which God invites all equally to himself through the outward preaching of the word, even those to whom he holds it out as a savor of death. That's Ugh. your second verse, savor of death. So that 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 God would use the word to, um, what, fix fix a reprobate in their damnation mm-hmm. as the occasion for a severer condemnation. Ugh. The other kind of call is special, which he deigns for the. Mo- That's what my mom always used to tell me. Remember my mom? You're special. You're special. The other kind of call is special, which he deigns for the most part to give to the believers alone. While by the inward illumination of a spirit, he causes the preached word to dwell in their hearts. Yet sometimes, now here, here, this is interesting. Sometimes he also causes those whom he illumines only, illumines only for a time to partake of it, and then he justly forsakes them on account of their ungratefulness and strikes them with even, even greater blindness. That's, that's a, actually Calvin talking against once saved, always saved. Okay, so you got two verses there, the savor of death, and also many are called, fewer chosen. You have a possibility of getting 400 points right now. Okay, the first one is from the Gospels. I don't know which one, so I'm just going to guess the Gospel of Matthew. Oh, you're right. Matthew 22, 14. All right. Lucky. And then the Savor of Death. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say 1 Corinthians. Close. 2 Corinthians 2, 16. Oh. So you got 200 points for the first one. You lost 200 points for the second one. Bible B has never worked like that. Well, it's, you know, you got to be on your toes. <laughs> okay. So the, now this is Calvin. This is the fountainhead of all of the error of Calvin is to say that there's two calling, the outward call, which is the preaching of the gospel, and then the inward working of the spirit. This disconnect between word and spirit is deadly. It steals all comfort, and it, it undermines the, the Bible itself. Now is, that is the problem. Is that some in some way the same error as the enthusiast? It's yeah, yeah. It's precisely the same error as the enthusiast. I don't know if any Calvinist would admit it, but um, 
this dis I mean, this disconnect between word and spirit has led to um, what we now call Protestantism. Uh, you know, it's almost definitional now that you've got to have the external word and the internal word, and they work separately. So you mm. preach the gospel to everyone, but it's the Holy Spirit that moves in your heart. So when you hear Billy Graham say, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, you're hearing this echo, echo from Calvin. Because it's not enough to say, hey, God's word is here being preached. So, so where, does the, where does the saving call happen? It's not in the hearing of the gospel, but rather in the internal working of the Spirit. Do you see? So, so, and so Calvin drives a wedge between those two things. So the way the, the Lutheran would understand that many are called but few are chosen is that God is unequivocally working through that gospel preached to, uh, to save a lost condemned sinner, uh, but some of those uh, hearers of the gospel rejected out of their sin. Now, why some and not others, we don't know, but that's know. what's going on. Can't answer the question, and that, in fact, is what Paul, again, is driving to in Romans 9. Who are you, O oh, oh, man, to speak to God? Why, to say, why can the, can the vessel say to the potter, why did you make me this way? In, in other words, Paul is saying we cannot answer this question, uh, why some and not others. It's unanswerable. It, we can never be satisfied. But this is the point, is that uh, the unsatisfied reason, in fact, leads to the possibility of a comforted conscience. It's like a comf- it's like a reason conscience seesaw. If you're if you if you want to satisfy your reason, you got to deny part of the scripture, and that results in stealing comfort from the conscience. Ah, all right. Well, that was an email sent to questions at tabletalkradio.org. I've got another one here for you. Um, it says well, that one wasn't sent to answers at tabletalkradio.org. It was not. <laughs> remember how the Calvinists are. I remember. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Okay, Joshua writes in and says, "Dear Iron Preachers, hey, I've been." That's- <laughs> Preach plural? <laughs> plural? That's right. I've huh. been... <laughs> Who knew? You're, you're, so, you're so astonished at the plural. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> What's wrong? I've been listening to Table Talk Radio on and off for the last year, and meteorocity aside, I generally enjoy what you have to say. <laughs> generally. In general. Not specifically, <laughs> but in general. I have a general sense of, of enjoyment, but I can't point to why. Nothing you've actually said has given me any joy, but okay, anyway. still I've listened. Also, I enjoyed your last <laughs> Preaching to Hollywood segment featuring Fallout Boy, which reminds me, there is a song I heard where the lyrics went, God rid us of our conscience so we can float away. The only I listen, I listened to that song. Oh, you, are you going to play that? Yeah. <laughs> I You're... listened to this. Oh, <laughs> Why? Have you listened to it? I listened to part of it. If this is the song that I'm thinking about. Ooh. So it's the it's the only line in the whole song, and it just keeps repeating. So it ha- and ha- what's the line again? It's um, God rid us our conscience so we can float away. <laughs> and the, uh, Joshua continues seeing. Um, Lutheran past. Oh, wait, so, so seeing as conscience is a big theme in Lutheranism, uh, obviously he is an, an off and on again listener. Not an ism, Joshua. <laughs> uh, I was curious to what two Lutheran pastors thought of it. And so here, you ready for the song? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, I'm ready. Here oh. it is. God. Is this what you thought of? Rid us. <laughs> I feel like it's a hypnosis song. I know, that's exactly. 
I think it's supposed to sound like this. This isn't an accident. So we can fly. Like I'm floating right now. All right, so that's the only line of the whole song. God rid us our conscience so we can float away. So what do you think of that one, Pastor? Man, oh man. Well, it's the, it's, uh, it falls into the category, again, of secular songs having more theology than most Christian songs. <laughs> True. Uh, but I don't think that theology is particularly helpful. God rid us of our conscience so we can float away. Um, I, this I, is... I kind of expected the lyric to go something like this, God rid us of our conscience so we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the goal here is floating away, which I don't really know. What that In means. some way, conscience is the, our conscience is what binds us to reality. Mm. In fact, I heard a definition of conscience this last week uh, when we were kicking around down in Arizona, uh, and it was something like this: that con- our conscience is is um, uh, our sense of how we stand in the, uh, uh, in relation to that which is around us. So our conscience is telling us that we're in sync or out of sync with our neighbor, with our family, with uh, with our God. So that it's a it's a always a positional thing or a relational thing. Now I don't think that's uh, totally true, but I think it is kind of helpful to think about is that the conscience in some way is our anchor. It binds us to each other, to our neighbor, and so forth. And and so so if you picture this, the conscience is as that which binds you to the other. Um, either in a good way, I have a good conscience towards you because I've 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 done my vocation and served you, or I have a bad conscience towards you because I've I've sinned against you. I'm still I'm I'm bound up to you somehow, and if that conscience is gone, um, then not only can I do what I want, like you said, but now I can be unfettered. I, I I'm disconnected from the from the uh, from the world, and you see that kind of thing in the um, in Eastern in Eastern spirituality, which is the, is, is the idea of deadening my own conscience through meditation so that I can now be absorbed into the whole. The conscience is always pushing us towards the specific. It's not just, I mean, the conscience is always reminding us that our, it's not, Jesus just doesn't say love your neighbor, but that your neighbor has a name. Love your neighbor Fred, that guy who stinks and has sins. Uh, so that there's always something very, very specific in God's law and in our conscience and um and I think that's what the the prayer of this song is for, that God would somehow get rid of that and um and so disconnect us from the specificity of our createdness. Does that sentence sound obnoxious? Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, you were talking, so I just assumed. That... <laughs> I answered yes. <laughs> disconnect us from the specificity of our createdness. I wish I could say that without sounding like I'm a jargoneer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's probably what. I, however, you could say that better than that. Then you should say it that way, and that's what I mean. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Well, uh, we're going to take a break, and then what? We're... How many breaks? I don't even need a break. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> well, I just keep going. We're we're gonna. So why don't you? Why don't you uh, tell us what we're going to be talking about when we play Ten Minutes in the News? Just a little, ah, yeah. a little teaser. We got uh, we uh, we got the Nayroll commercial. The Nayroll is upset about the Super Bowl Doritos commercial, so we're going to take that and play Ten Commandments in the news with it. <laughs> that sounds like fun. If you want to, oh, yeah. if you want to, tell us what you think about the show. Give us a call one eight hundred three eight five SOLA one eight hundred three eight five seven six five two, or send us an email questions at tabletalkradio.org. 
questions at tabletalkradio.org. We're going to play Tinkman with the News. You're on Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. Doritos, Doritos, Doritos. Don't look at my Doritos, Doritos, Doritos. You can't have my Doritos, Doritos, Doritos. Don't look at my Doritos. You can't have my Doritos, Doritos, Doritos. Table Talk Radio. Unscripted, unprepared, unashamed. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Ten Commandments in the news is the game, and this is the story. You ready, Pastor Wolf? Yeah, I'm ready. The National Abortion Rights Action League, lovingly known as NARAL, has a chip on its shoulder after seeing a Doritos commercial during the Super Bowl. I'm PJTV Scott Ott with Stephen Green and Bill Whittle. And men, NARAL took to Twitter during the big game to gripe about this snack food commercial. And there's your beautiful baby. Any day now. Really? You're eating Doritos? He's eating Doritos at my ultrasound. Do you see what I have to deal with? I know. You see what I have to deal with. The baby's like reacting to where the chip is. (laughs) The guy's laughing. (laughs) Give me that. Grabs a chip, throws it. The baby goes out. According to the abortion promotion (laughs) organization, the the Doritos ad used, quote, the anti-choice tactic of humanizing fetuses, end quote. Oh, my goodness. All right. (laughs) So that's the story. Quote, anti-choice tactic of humanizing fetuses. Because, you know, until the baby is born, the fetus is a puppy monkey baby. What a, it is, a fetus means a thing in the womb, but what is the thing? What, how could you, how could you humanize something that is human? I mean, you can't, it is, a, it is impossible to humanize a fetus because it is a human fetus. It can't be humanized because it is already a human being. You know, Otherwise, if, what is it? If, if you're asking these rational questions for our listeners, you're kind of humanizing them. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I still do. Oh, I can't, are you trying to say that pro- NARAL is being absurd? Because I, <laughs> I don't know how you could hold such a position. NARAL, as many abort. You know, I was reading this uh, great. Oh, <clears throat> this is so great. Luther's letter on the war against the Turk, and he talks about how first Muhammad lies, and he kills the souls with it, kills souls with his lies, and then Muhammad kills with a sword. He kills bodies with a sword. And he says, this is the devil's tactic, always to lie and kill. So you lie against the soul and you kill against the body. And then Luther says, this always goes together. So first comes the lie and then comes the death. Now, this has just been the history of humanity. First comes in the lie and then comes in the piles of bodies. And with this abortion thing, the lie has come. And that is the sovereignty of my will, my self-determination, that I cannot be bound to another. So I cannot be somehow obliged to the to the person in my womb that is goes completely against the sovereignty of my own self-determination and so you believe that lie and the thing that comes next is just piles and piles of millions and millions of bodies and 
uh, and, and because it's a lie, though, you have to, you you are just so defensive. I mean, this commercial was just stupid. I mean, it was is a stupid Doritos commercial, and it's not like Doritos is like some sort of huge anti-abortion conglomerate. I mean, Doritos got in trouble because didn't it was like a couple of weeks ago that Doritos made a rainbow chip. Didn't you remember that? Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I mean, that. it's not like like Doritos is like uh, a, some sort of secret Chick Fil A, you know. <laughs> Like they only have uh, yeah, only only they don't make chips on Saturdays. They're Seventh Day Adventists. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not like you know, there's some sort of like Ted Cruz Super Pack run by Doritos or something. Uh, and yet you can't they can't even talk about a baby in the womb, you know, acting, moving around, doing something, being a real human being, because that is a threat to the lie. I wonder if mm-hmm. if if there'd be like this pregnant mother and goes, oh, I just felt a kick. Stop humanizing that fetus. That's right. It was not a kick. That's right. It was indigestion. A kick is an anthropomorphism. <laughs> That's right. Humans kick. <laughs> Fetuses twitch. <laughs> I, I hear the heartbeat. That anthropomorphizing. <laughs> Humans have heartbeats. Babies have. Wait, you can't say baby. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> would you stop trying to humanize the fetus by calling it a baby? <laughs> I was reading this article the other day. Well, I actually wasn't reading it. I was listening to uh, uh, to my guy, Al Mohler, read it to me. And uh, and it was some about a woman who had a – it was a pro-abortion uh, activist, really, but she had a, she is married and she had an abortion when she was younger. She got married. She had a baby. She got pregnant, in, in other words, and since she had a miscarriage. And she went for comfort. She was feeling really terrible about this miscarriage. She went for comfort to all of her friends, and they're like, what? Nothing. It's nothing. You didn't lose anything. Yeah. And uh, and she's like, this was a big difference. This baby I wanted to live. Wait, this thing I wanted to live. This, so that that I had before was a fetus, but this that I have is a baby. And she said, now, we, we, the, uh, 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 the feminist movement needs to grow up to be able to give the mother the right to self-determine the, the status of the thing in their womb. So, so what we're doing is uh, resting the dignity and human rights of individuals based upon the will of another. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, imagine if your right to have um, the right to live rested upon my will, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's uh. that is no different than Nazi Germany. The, the the reason that um, we didn't consider it w- murder to put people in gas chambers is because the established government at the time said that they weren't humans. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and there's these connections, you know. I mean, the, the, the Nazi, the National Socialist, the Nationalist part of the National Socialist Party was this. It was this eugenic idea of, of of coming to a better race, and we really need to come to terms with the fact that the the modern abortion movement was grown out of the eugenics movement. It's a movement. I mean, it was. It was so that you so that that the undesired babies from undesirable people are not born, and that is utterly, utterly wrong. It is completely godless. And I mean, I just you see this sort of stuff, and you just are waiting for the lightning to strike. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely frightful. And that's a movement I, in the proper sense of the word, right? I, that's right. That's right. It's a real movement, and this and so we always are fighting against it because God has instituted. You know, God instituted some things. And one of those things that he instituted is babies. I mean, and I think it's an amazing that uh, that our political, the Christian political conviction, comes down to the fact that we that babies are good. I mean, that's that's basically which is so obvious. I mean, you just look at a baby and you're like, hey, that's good. We sh- there should be lots of those things around. 
uh, we probably shouldn't kill them. And we should probably, you know, mom and dad should be committed to each other before you have them. And uh, we should also support them and teach them and protect them. That's that's I just hey. Uh, babies are great is I mean, it's it's an amazing sort of thing that that is some sort of divisive political statement to say that babies are great. Do you know, I learned uh, yesterday that yeah. the state of Oregon is the the only state in the whole United States of America that has zero state restrictions on abortions. Boy, there's not one state restriction on getting an abortion. So if you live in Oregon, if you're listening to this and you live in Oregon, there's a petition going around. At least there will be. It's it's being challenged by NARAL in the uh, state Supreme Court. Um, but as soon as that gets done, you should sign a petition saying that I want on the next ballot uh, to stop taxpayer uh, money going to pay for abortions. Yeah, that's crazy. It is just we the world is just upside down. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about commandments. Um, All right. The clear and obvious one is the fifth commandment. Yes. Uh, thou shalt life. not murder. Dealing don't, with uh, life. Don't kill the babies. And the fifth commandment and sixth commandment are always connected to one another. You have the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. That gives us the gift of marriage, which is how we get babies. Mm-hmm. At least that's how we're supposed to get babies. It goes <laughs> the other way, although you see when the sixth commandment is broken, then often death happens. So that like this article I was mentioning before about the woman who you know had a baby before she was married got pregnant before she was married and then was aborted then she got had a baby got pregnant after she was married and wanted to keep the baby so it's it marriage is the place into which babies can be brought with joy etc so the sixth commandment is in here you had a husband and wife um, by the way this the commercial took place in a hospital that's fifth commandment stuff too we want to support life um, <clears throat> let's see it has to do with politics. So that NARAL is a, some sort of advocacy group, I suppose, uh, and this whole thing has become politicized, and that points to the Fourth Commandment, where the Lord institutes government, not only in the family, but also in the state. Um, and I would suppose that would be, in some sense, an Eighth Commandment issue as well, uh, political ramifications, so that right. uh, we'd, we're taking to Twitter and whatnot and saying, uh, hey, look how evil these people are for um, for." Uh, humanizing fetuses. <laughs> I'd say anytime the Twitter is involved, you're looking at an Eighth Commandment thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Oddly enough, it's selling Doritos, which is a Seventh Commandment thing. Uh huh. Giving money and money and yep. economics. They're all here. All, all right. involved. Is there one through three? Um. Well, in this sense, God is the one who gives us these laws, and when we completely throw uh, him off, whenever time you have a movement, you're moving away from God's institutions and towards the uh, kind of your own fantasies. Like like Luther said, oh, remember this war against the Turk I was talking about? This this thing's so great. You guys got to go read it. He says, when you take away true, uh, um, true theology, true family life, and through statecraft, the only thing you have left is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so when you destroy God's institutions, the world, flesh, and the devil uh, start to have their way. Hmm. Um, I'd say Ninth and Tenth Commandment are involved, coveting thy neighbor's babies. (laughs) Or, you know, uh, coveting the freedom that you have for not having children. I mean, why why do we love not having babies so much? It's crazy. It's an idolatry. And that is the idolatry of discontent. So I think you're right. That's the uh, the ninth and tenth commandments. Indeed, it is, and that is also all the time we have. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio, where the points are like throwing a baby shower for the president of Nayroll. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the Calvinists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.